This episode of Finding Common Ground is brought to you in part by BMO Harris Bank. I'm Dana Davenport, and welcome to Finding Common Ground, a show on Naperville Community Television focused on important current events and how they impact our diverse population. We are many voices of one community, often with strong opinions on every side of an issue. And I'm Rebecca Malaki Meslin. Since March 2020, when schools closed for in-person learning, parents, educators, and school administrators have been scrambling to respond to the pandemic. They were forced to make massive changes to learning platforms, curriculum and instruction, and safety protocols in response to Governor Pritzker's plan and countywide recommendations. The response from public and private schools have been different, ranging from fully in-person to fully remote, leaving us all to ask what is best for children and what is safest for children and teachers. Here, through courageous conversation in the interest of discovering collaborative solutions, we hope to find our common ground. Joining us today are Dan Bridges, Superintendent of Naperville School District 203, Dr. Adrian Talley, Superintendent of Indian Prairie School District 204, and Mavis DeMar, Principal of St. Raphael Catholic School. Thank you all so much for joining us. This is such an important topic that so many people are interested in. District 203 and District 204 have recently launched their hybrid learning platforms. How have those been received so far? Right now in 204, <laughs> we're very happy about what's happening. Um, let me give you an example or two. We actually started our uh, hybrid program in eight schools back in October, but now we are starting across all of our, all of our schools. Uh, we uh, phased in with grades pre-K to two, and then we expanded to grades three through five at the elementary level. Uh, we did uh, phasing in as well at the uh, middle and high school level. And what we've been very fortunate about is uh, the children and the students are all very energized, excited about what's happening. It has been a great opportunity. Uh, uh, even though children are wearing masks, staff are wearing masks, you can see their smiles underneath the mask. Um, Everyone is very pleased. It has gone very smoothly from beginning until now as we enter our third week of our program. And very similar to uh, Adrian and uh, District 204, uh, Neighborville 203, there's really a buzz of quite a bit of excitement right now that uh, we are transitioning into our, our hybrid model. Um, you know, I think it's an interesting thing, to, uh, important thing to point out. Uh, both tr true for both 203 and 204. We've had groups of students in school uh, from the beginning of the school year. Uh, you know, it, it, most of our schools, uh, minus uh, some short adaptive pauses uh, in the late fall where you know, things slow down a little bit, but uh, there is a new level of excitement now uh, for our kids who have a regular schedule, a routine schedule, to be able to be in a classroom, more of them in there, be able to interact with their, their faculty, you know, their teachers and, and within the school. So a buzz of a tremendous positive energy, uh, I think is what we feel throughout the schools. Um, you know, a, a tremendous amount of credit goes to uh, our educators for the work that they've done to be, uh, to kind of prepare for this. You know, going all the way back to March 13th, we've asked them to do things that they've never been asked to do before, nor had they ever been prepared to do. Uh, in the amount of uh, time that they've invested into the work to do the amazing things that they do in, in the classrooms is great. And our students, the patience that they have shown 
uh, the resiliency that they have shown, and again, the positive energy that they've brought, I really inspired us to want to get them back into a classroom. And ultimately, I really need to thank uh, our parents in the community. Uh, they've been our partners all along. Now, I, I know that the models that we've had in place have not been exactly what every parent wants, uh, and that's hard to do on, on a lot of topics, but we've worked hard to try to, to get to this point and are looking forward to continuing to move forward. But, you know, back to how are things going? We're going, I, I couldn't ask them to go any better. We have to provide tremendous grace for our, our staff as they learn teaching in this new platform with uh, new tools and technology. Uh, but overall, really, it's just such a positive vibe and we're feeling really good about where we're at. We know that parents were given a choice to stay remote or to opt in for the hybrid learning model. Um, what percentage of families chose to stay remote and what were some of the reasons that they gave you for, for making that choice? So about 72% of our families across the uh, across the district opted for in-person for the hybrid model. About 28% then that, that chose to remain home. And that's consistent mostly across the district. Uh, some variances up and down. Um, Overall, I, I, you know, I, I think really just concern about um, about the virus and about this pandemic and uncertainty and, and just really kind of feeling that the the safest place for these individuals uh, is at home. They may have a some form of a pre-existing health condition that makes them more vulnerable to uh, the virus. Um, so I think it's just really, you know, it's a kind of a case by case. There's really not one answer. Um, you know, when you look at it, when, when you kind of dig into it. Um, but we're really pleased that we uh, have as many kids as we do uh, in, in our classrooms right now. For, for Indian Prairie, we have approximately 56% of our families are doing remote. 44% are um, in in-person learning. Uh, as Dan mentioned, for the most part, these parents who are deciding to stay remote, it's due to the fact that they may have someone in their home who has um, um, issues that they don't want to expose uh, them to the virus. If, and so, uh, or the uh, uh, parent is concerned about the health issue of the child uh, in and of itself. Um, but what I think is also important is to think about the fact that we now are doing both in-person learning and remote learning. This bifurcated platform, platforms are being used. And so we wanna make sure that we're providing a robust program for both those who are coming in and those who are staying at home. St. Rayfield's, much to the credit of our teachers and the Diocese of Joliet, has um, very proudly been face-to-face um, since August 19th, we put protocols and guidelines in place. Everyone, just like 203 and 204, worked very hard to get those protocols and guidelines um, ready, typed up, ready to go out to families. Also training all teachers in safety measures, um, ordering all of the things that we needed, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Um, so March 13th, as you know, we went remote for a time. Uh, we shut down on that day, that Friday, and we were up on Monday completely remote uh, with hardly a hiccup in the doing. So it was pretty amazing. Um, our teachers finished out the year strong. We worked very hard to provide students with every kind of student event that we could possibly pull off with COVID, knowing that our kids were dealing with masks for the first time and doing the six foot distancing. All of these were new learned behaviors for all of our kids. But as we look at them now and see how great they're doing and how much they're growing and learning, um, the masks are secondary. 
you, they don't even notice they have them on. They're going through their day learning and being challenged. It's really been amazing to watch how the children grow. How are private schools able to conduct the in-person learning and, and the public school districts were not able to um, come back as soon as, as you were? Well, I think it's really important to remember you are comparing apples to oranges. They're very different. Um, I'm a very small school. I have one of every grade level. If I had five of every grade level, I would be in the same way that 203 and 204 are. So we can't really compare the two, being honest with you. Um, our kids are doing fine. Um, you would have to put in so many different protocols and you would have to do the hybrid model if I had more classrooms. But that's the joy of being small. Sometimes we complain about it and sometimes <laughs> it's a big joy. Yeah, and Dana, if I can, you know, maybe this makes a, a tremendous point, I think. When you look across the county and you look across the state, not just private school to public school, but even public school to public school, um, size of district, yep. class size, uh, available facilities, classroom structure and arrangement, um, yep. really are a lot of factors that play into when districts are able to come back. Let's compare 203 and 204 for just a second and what Adrian said earlier. You know, they have less than 50% of their kids who have opted for in-person right now. That's really gonna give them a little bit more flexibility than, than what we have in terms of classroom space because we're at 72%, right? And so it's really hard to look at, say, you know, and ask that question, why is this district or why is this private school in, but you're not? Because our conditions, our situations, and what's available to us are just so different. Every superintendent, every uh, private school leader has to make decisions best based on what's best for their circumstance. And I, I trust that I know, I know that I've done that. Uh, it's not always been the popular decisions, but I certainly have looked at all of those factors in making my decisions. I, I'll just add as well, I think it's it, from a surface level, people will say, well, they're the same districts or they're in the same area. So therefore, you know, it is the same process. But as Dan mentioned, it is not. It is um, very different from district to district. Uh, we are all, and I believe all three of us here, and would say we want all the children in. We all want them in. Yes. None of and us. our goal from day one. <laughs> none of us are trying to prevent them from coming in. So, I think uh, that's what we want to keep people aware of. And so, as we look at these these items, and one of the things that Dan mentioned, I just wanted to speak very uh, a little bit more about. It's the square footage in a classroom. Every building is very different as we look at them, and class sizes um, are very different. Indian Prairie, we have large class sizes compared to other districts, but we also have smaller rooms in square footage. That adds to the complexity of the situation. These are not excuses. These are the reality of the situation. Right, and with, uh, with two schools in our district built in 1928, you know, certainly, although just 10 years off of the last pandemic, you know, they couldn't have imagined a scenario like this where we're putting between 25 and 30 kids in a classroom built almost 100 years ago. We are currently using every amount of available space that we can hold classes in. Um, using aides and teachers to divide groups. And it's, it is not an easy task. You have to be very, very organized to pull it off. We know that so many 
protocols regarding safety had to be put in place at, at all of your schools. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the, the questions I think that's out there is how are these decisions made with information coming at you quick and changing rapidly, both from the statewide level as well as countywide. You know, some people are looking at CDC, some people are looking at health departments, some people are looking at all of those things. So talk to us a little bit about that decision-making process, the org structure of your schools and how and who is helping to make those decisions about what safety protocols needed to be in place to reopen. I'm going to jump on that one, guys, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, for us, the diocese um, got together and they put in our original uh, guidelines. And then each building had to create their own off of that. Um, so some very basic rules were in place. But it was, you know, ordering the six-foot distancing thing. And then you have to remember that you have to have the manpower to get everything labeled in those buildings. So, you know, you're talking summer with smaller staff right and all of a sudden you have to get this big building ready to go um, bathrooms labeled uh, stairways labeled with six foot distancing um, I'm trying to think what else even out in your flow zone if you're dealing with elementary buildings we have six foot distancing out there we cones and ordered cones everything that you can possibly imagine your face masks your dividers for classrooms uh, for actual tables um, every kind of um, safety measure that you can imagine, plus the training. Now you have to bring staff in and get everyone trained on what they're expected to do. Um, also buying all of the supplies for that cleanliness, the spray bottles, the hand sanitizer, the, you know, they go to mass, they automatically hand sanitize their hands before going into mass, out of mass, you know, spraying back in the room, um, getting the stations like if they're teaching for little ones um the stations that they have to have kids can't be touching things first day monday then the second day tuesday if you're in all week there's got to be 72 hours before they touch that item again so it's a matter of having tubs more tubs than you can possibly imagine um, they have changed the way they teach um you know they're you can't be seated at a table we, we used to call them kidney tables for guided reading groups, right? Um, you can't be seated close at hand doing a reading group with those kids anymore. That's too close, right? So they're learning to teach um, small groups with kids way far apart, right? And um, they're going by kids and checking on children, but the time that you spend near any one student is very short. It's a check-in, make sure they're okay, keep moving, keep moving because we're always dealing with that 15 minutes of contact, right? So making teacher, and it, that was not hard for teachers. Remember that our teachers are trained to give that one-on-one -on -one with kids, and that has been very difficult, and I'm sure for 203 and 2042, <laughs> because we're always talking differentiation, right? We're always talking, let's be really direct with these kids, and now they have to back up a little bit from the children, and that's hard for them, because they're good at what they do. So here's the deal, to be perfectly honest with you, from a, a planning perspective and reacting to last minute uh, guidance, last minute direction, it's what we do. You know, while the yeah. pandemic and what we're dealing with right now may be a new situation, but understanding logistics, understanding operations, being flexible, being nimble, 
changing course in a matter of moments is, is what we do every day. That's what good instruction is, right? It's responding to the needs and the conditions of the learning environment at the time. And so, you know, that's what we've all had to do. And I don't mean just 203. This is what our educators across the country and across the world are doing right now is really responding to the rapid changing uh, conditions, the rapidly changing guidance. Remember when this the virus first uh, was becoming prominent? Yep. I'm not sure masks going to do anything, so we shouldn't worry about those. And now we're up to two masks is what's recommended, right? And so the thing is, is that we learn as we go. And as we learn more and understand more, have more data, more information about whatever it is we have to make a decision about, we make those changes and we make those adaptations. So, you know, again, you know, you just, and you're right, we have so many different uh, agencies providing guidance and direction. Sometimes it's difficult, but really what it comes down to there's not just one set of guidelines. There's not just one metric or just one thing that we look at. We really have to look at the whole. We have to look at so many different things and take all of those things into consideration. Uh, you know, and, and so for us, we've always been a district. We think locally, uh, local decision making uh, and having some local control. So we've really partnered mostly with the Page County Health Department, who's taking their guidance from the Illinois Department of Public Health and the CDC. We really rely on those public health experts to be our filter for us, to say, here's what we know, here's what exceptional practices are telling us right now, and here's what you should do. Uh, they've been great about kind of deferring decisions to us because as we've already talked about, you know, there are 42 public school districts in DuPage County alone. Uh, from, you know, one school to Adrian's, you know, in, with uh, almost 30,000 kids. So to suggest that every district can do the same thing is just crazy. Uh, but what we all have done is really responded to the changing conditions, learned our lessons, made adaptations and changes that we think are necessary to support our kids. And Adrian, can I ask you guys a question? Wouldn't you say that it's really super important to have the right leaders in the right seats? Well, Mavis, I was just about to say, I would assume all of us have people who have been very helpful to us as we're doing our work. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Indian Prairie, I have a coordinating uh, nurse, Linda Herwalt, who has been outstanding in her ability to take the information that comes from the DuPage Health Department, from the Illinois State Department of Public Health from the CDC and create our protocols, but it's also the ordering of materials that you mentioned, Mavis, and also thinking about how does it get out to all of the schools. Um, it is a concerted effort of everyone to work together to um, understand the complexity of it all, to, to work with the principals who are there to are going to make sure that this is being carried out at the school, at the classroom level, the teachers who have to make sure that this is being done, or also, and, and also to collaborate with them on the, 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 the rules and the procedures that we're going to have in each building. The, this is the work of many, not the work of one, because if it's one person doing it, you're going to fail. And I think That's we right. really have been able to uh, share also information across districts, um, uh, uh, Dan and I are in meetings once a week, twice a week, and we share what's, what other people are doing. 
We're not trying to do it alone because no need to reinvent the wheel. It is a very complex situation and fast changing one. But as Dan mentioned, I think we really are uh, adaptable and it's part of who we are as educators. Thank you so much. We're gonna talk a little bit more about the plans moving forward when we come back from this short break. So how's saving for the renovation going? All done. I will never understand how you do it. Easy, she saves with BMO Harris. We give you a cash reward for every month you save. So BMO will give me cash for saving money? You bet. Can the subject hold position two, please? How's this? That's odd. I make saving look good. When a bank helps you make real financial progress, that's the BMO effect. Get a $5 reward every month you save $200 or more in a new BMO statement savings account. We tell everybody's stories, stories big and small. Everybody's story matters to us, and it comes in a variety of shapes and sizes, and that's what makes it so special. We don't always need a big story. Sometimes we want a story that makes us laugh. Sometimes we want a story that we relate to. Sometimes we want to cry with that story. But more importantly, we want to hear the stories about our people in the community. Welcome back to Finding Common Ground, where we are talking about education and public school, private school, and their response to the COVID pandemic. One question that I think is on everybody's mind is that what are the protocols in place for when there is a positive test in COVID in one of the schools? We do contact tracing. All of my nurses have been trained and through Johns Hopkins and contact tracing. And so when there is a positive case, it's important for our nurse to talk to the person who is positive to find out where they've been in the building, with whom they have spent time, were they wearing masks? Um, and uh, a few other questions that they're going to be asked. Because what we need to find out is who may need to be quarantined due to exposure. Uh, and as I believe Mavis said earlier, the question is about that 15 minutes of time and with people wearing masks. And so we go through the, those steps, try to find out all the people who've been there. Then we also do the process of cleaning spaces after the person, wherever that person was in that building. And then the person is put out on leave, is, um, they go home, and then they go through a process well of, of having tests to prove that they're negative and, and an ability to come back. But those are some of the things that we do. I'll let others speak. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, very similarly, um, a lot of the same here, you know, just in, in terms of communication and messaging, you know, uh, to the community and to our families or to those potentially impacted, you know, we uh, we have kind of three levels of, of communication. One is an all-community message, all-school community message, hey, we had a positive and just kind of remember, monitor symptoms, do these things. And sometimes that's a frustrating uh, message for a family to get because they want to know, was it my student? Was it in my student's classroom? Was it my student's teacher? Uh, do I really need to be worried? And so we've tried to communicate out that it, if, I mean, you get that general message, you're, you're okay, monitor symptoms, pay attention. Um, but then the next two levels, you know, we send a close contact message. And those close, as they've been talking about, those close contacts are in a position where they may have been exposed in a, to a point that we're concerned. And then so we ask our close contacts to quarantine at home for 14 days. 
monitor symptoms and consult with their physician. Um, but then we also send a low risk message too to uh, to those that you know maybe now within the six feet for more than 15 minutes. Maybe you're uh, within a close proximity in the classroom, and we're going to ask you to just monitor symptoms um, and, and let us know if things change. But otherwise, uh, a lot of what uh, Adrian said very similar here in terms of contact tracing, which is so important uh, to ensure we help control uh, the spread of the virus. I would add to that piece uh, the fact that. Um, not only have the nurses been trained for you guys and ours, you know, we have a nurse contact that we use, but we also try to use someone who's very compassionate in delivering that message to parents, mm -hmm. keeping in mind that parents wear their heart on their sleeve for their children, right? Now I really look like an elementary person, don't I? Or sound like one. But um, when you're hearing that for the first time, and especially when we first started with all of this, the compassion that you needed mm -hmm. to was really critical. Mavis, you've been in person with um, almost all of your students since the start of the school year. Um, I assume that you have had kids test positive, uh, and maybe teachers yes. as well. Um, have there been any outbreaks? Or Because I think when we hear test positive, that's different from an outbreak or transmissions within the school. Um, have you had that, and, and what was the response from parents and teachers? The um, really an outbreak um, was identified as five or more cases. We have not had that at one time, um, but we have had like two in a classroom and then par parents are worried. And you know, sometimes they will respond with, in their fear, God bless them, they will respond with anger back at you. So you have got to have it together and you've got to go into your calming mode, you know, where here's what we're gonna do, here's what you are going to do, right? This is when your child will be able to come back. This is what the test is like. It's a fuzzy thing that they stick up their nose. It's not scary. There are many things that, you know, if you're really compassionate, that you can take that fear and lower that fear for the families. Um, so, you know, as far as having outbreaks, we haven't really had an outbreak. We've had one here and there at different grade levels. We did have to shut one grade level down for a time and go remote for a little bit, but then we brought everybody back in and we had, you know, our God is an awesome God playing in the parking lot. Sorry guys, you can't do that. <laughs> um, so anyway, it was- I've talked to him quite a bit during this whole thing though. <laughs> yeah, I know you've been, you've been praying a lot, haven't you? We all have. But there's some, there's some joy really to be even able to bring faith into it and to uh, relating to the moms um, and the dads as a mother and a grandma myself, which I'm sure you guys do too. Dan and Adrian, you as well, as you mentioned earlier, Dan, um, you've had kids on campuses, right? They've been on campus since the start of the school, although in small numbers. Um, so you've been dealing with this since the start of the school year as well in just smaller numbers. Have, have you seen, um, you know, what does that response look like and have there been any outbreaks in either of your districts as defined by that five or more um, in a class? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, We've certainly had positive cases, both uh, on the student level as well as our staff level. Um, we have no evidence uh, or no data to suggest that there has been any spread within our schools. Uh, so we're, you know, really kind of, that's one of the things that helped us with the transition into our hybrid model and feeling very confident about doing that was that uh, we felt that the mitigation strategies that we have in place has been able to limit any sort of spread. So, you know, again, we, we, we've not seen outbreak as defined but we certainly had a number of positive cases and i think ultimately you know it's uh 
Yeah, just everyone who's dealing with it. It's another, you know, kind of a bump in the road or another challenge uh, that we have to work through. Um, but, uh, you know, I, again, with the right mitigation strategies in place, uh, adhering to it, constantly communicating, um, you know, we're feeling a lot more comfortable about uh, the number of folks that we have in our buildings. And I would, I would agree with what's been said. Uh, in Indian Prairie, we have had those cases. We put them on our website so people can see how many cases are in our buildings. We have been very transparent about it. Uh, and, you know, some of them have been students. Some of them have been student athletes. Some of them have been our adults. Uh, and But the cases tend to be from uh, people and getting it, getting uh, uh, testing positive based upon activities that have happened in their private life and not based upon what has happened in our schools. And so as Dan mentioned, that's why we felt very comfortable in our ability to bring people back. We felt it would be uh, moving us in the right direction because uh, the cases in our buildings were not caused by uh, people coming in being positive and spreading it to other people. That's what we wanted to come to. One of the things you've been talking about throughout this is the ability to be flexible and to pivot um, I like, Mavis, what you said about responding with compassion, um, because you've all had students on some levels in uh, the buildings. Can you talk a little bit about particularly some of those um, groups like special needs, for example, um, and, and how they've been in the buildings, um, kids who, who really need to be in the buildings? Can you talk a little bit about that, because they've been there for a while? Students who have some form of uh, an exceptional need, whether it be, um, you know, a defined special education need with an IEP or just, you know, students who uh, have struggled in school, either academically or social emotionally, uh, have been our, or, or uh, choosing not to or having a difficult time engaging and just participating, have been our priority from day one. Um, you know, and it's just IEP teams, for example, with our special education students continuing to meet and work and identifying uh, the needs of the student and how to best accommodate those needs, and how to best meet their plan and support them. Um, and so, you know, there's been varying levels. Some of our, our more uh, severe um, uh, students or, or you know, with multiple needs um, are most uh, at risk have, have been in our buildings uh, a lot uh, over the course of the year. Uh, but, I, you know, again, that's the, the power of our teachers really being flexible and thinking about what what students are going to, you know, need more uh, to be able to be successful. We want all of our kids in school and every parent wants all of their, their, their children in school. But when you really kind of dig in and say, you know, where are our greatest needs right now? Uh, where are students who are struggling uh, at a greater level than others? And, you know, they have been our priority, as we've talked about. We've been serving them on a very regular basis. That was the group that I uh, put a pause on at the very last moment. It was the last group for me to pause right before Thanksgiving break. Uh, we, were, we were having children in our pre-K program, our special ed program, and I really did not want to put a pause on them because, as Dan mentioned, we, we knew that they were the ones that we needed to serve the most. Um, as we look now, uh, through our hybrid program, we're looking at how can we expand their program for our, uh, our special ed self-contained students. Uh, and we're looking at, you know, trying to make that uh, more days as possible. Uh, we, we know we owe them. And so we're doing everything possible that, uh, to ensure their success, their academic, their social emotional success. And one thing I want to add is 
I think what we're all been focused on as well is the, the support of our social emotional needs for our children. All of us are concerned about the mental health of our children uh, and our adults. And so we have been spending a lot of time focused on that as a school system. But I'm, I, am, I know without a doubt the other two are also doing that same work. No doubt. Such an important priority for us. And I'll tell you, just as a not only superintendent, but as parent, I had a senior last year. That's tough on her. I've got a senior this year. I hope I don't have to have two go through the end of the spring, you know, in the same way, because I, you know, I've seen firsthand just the impact from a social emotional standpoint in my own home on, um, you know, on, on a child. So, you know, we certainly recognize that and it is a, a great uh, concern to us and we're doing as much as we can to try to support those needs as well. Do you anticipate for, for 203 not, and 204 that you will, can, I guess what I say, is there any reason not to continue with the hybrid model or is there any other model that might be introduced before the end of the school year? And for, for St. Raphael's, I would ask, you know, is there any reason why you would deviate from the model that you've been using all year as we look towards the next few months till the end of the school year? So for us in 203, um, just based on guidance that we've been provided by DuPage County Health Department and the only Department of Public Health, um, unless there are some significant changes uh, from that guidance and those recommendations, uh, most particularly the six feet uh, of social distance, even within a classroom, um, number of students uh, allowed to be in a large space. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see a change. I, you know, I, I think our hybrid, uh, it, it, we could see some flexibility and some modification as we go through. Again, lessons that we learn um, along the way to improve it and make it better. But unfortunately, I, I see us remaining in hybrid for uh, for the remainder of this year, unless guidance changes, maybe with the, the, the wider distribution of the vaccine and more folks being vaccinated, we can be we can look at things a little bit differently. Um, you know, I'm optimistic. You know, we we just uh, planned our summer school program um, and, you know, we're looking at trying to be in person. And I you know, we're looking at the fall next year. We're scheduling or in person, right? And so that's kind of what where we want to be. Uh, but, but the reality is, unless guidance changes, uh, and, and we're kind of given, I would say, permission to do things differently, uh, I unfortunately think that's the, that uh, a hybrid or some form of our current hybrid model is going to be what we see for the, for the near future. I, I, I have to echo Dan, unfortunately, <laughs> I know that's hard to do, Adrian. It's very hard, Dan, very hard. But no, I, I'm in agreement with you. The only thing I would add is, and I, I believe Dan is probably doing this, but I don't want to speak for him. Uh, we're, we are looking at our enrollment in, in our yep. hybrid program and trying to see, are there any places that we could make some slight variations into the plan, right. maybe bring in... Um, one grade level because we can combine it and see what happens. So we are, all of us are looking at how can we add more in-person time. But um, the six feet rule is something that we are we are adhering to. Um, and so that is, that controls some of what we're able to do. We intend to be face-to-face -face in the fall, um, just as we have been. Uh, we don't have a lot, of, lot more space to expand um, I will be um, trying to open up another grade level of a, of a certain grade level at this time. Um, we have uh, 10 to 17 students on a waiting list for every grade level at this time. 
I, I can imagine enroll, enrollment being up in the private private school system. Yeah, Speaking of that, um, do you suspect an enrollment uptick for summer school? Oh, in 203 for sure. I mean, we're planning for it. And I, we, you know, we've, uh, we um, are fortunate to offer a fairly robust summer program every summer already. Uh, and so we plan to do that. Um, but we're going to take a closer look at some of our needs, uh, our greatest needs, uh, make up for lost instructional time face-to-face -face and expand that program this summer. We want to make sure that every family has an option or a menu of selections to fit for based on the needs of their individual child. So I, I hope uh, that we've seen an uptick and I hope we're able to serve more kids. Uh, we're going to spread out over more campuses than we have historically. But here's the question I have also. Um, we're enrolling in my dip. You know, this summer we may be in a place where more travel's allowed, larger groups are able to gather. We may see families wanting to spend that important time, maybe going to see grandma and grandpa in another state that they haven't seen in over a year. You know, and so that's why we want to, you know, try to do some things a little bit more flexibly. Uh, if, if we can find positives instructionally and operationally out of what we've been going through, distance learning, remote learning is here to stay in some form or variation as options. Um, and so, you know, we have always offered some online summer school. I anticipate we'll do that again this year because of the expectation that if things look a little bit differently this summer than they have, uh, families may want to go see distant relatives that they've not been able to connect with. But overall, I do believe we'll see an increase in summer school. We're going to offer, I think, more summer programs, especially at the elementary level, uh, continue through with middle school. Uh, what Dan mentioned uh, uh, is a question that hasn't been asked, but I think is important, is that, you know, out of this whole program, what we'll be, be using differently in the future once the pandemic is over? And I do believe the whole remote learning will be beneficial for some. There are some children who have done beautifully with the program. They love the program. And so um, we're going to look at how we incorporate that in our plans going forward. Um, but as I have said to many families in my mind, I want to have full program in person for all of our children. But we're, we know that for some, they really want uh, still remote. Mavis, what things about your program uh, and changes that you've made in the last 10 months do you feel like are here to stay or will be retained uh, even if, you know, those social distancing guidelines change or even if those recommendations change in the future? I made a list. You just happened to ask. Um, compassion for families will always remain very high, obviously, at St. Rafe's. The way we clean, the way we sanitize, I, we have so many less sick kids. It's amazing. Um, the teamwork level at, in all sections of the building, and I think 203 and 204 would agree with that. Um, this year we learned Zoom conferences work very beautifully. We had more dads participate mm -hmm. in Zoom conferences this year. It was amazing. Um, teachers have learned new websites to use in their classrooms. Um, what else here? Um, things that would stay... I just think the whole um, parent and teacher and student gratitude, I think that will stay for face-to-face -face learning. And I do think that if even when people are offering remote, um, I think the parents know how hard we're working. And they show so much um, uh, kindness and appreciation for what the teachers are doing. It's critical. There's so many positive things that have happened. Um, and, and silver linings 
with this pandemic and, and our response to it, how the community has rallied in support of one another, uh, how your staff has shown sides of them that you they probably weren't trained on, um, their ability to be nimble. What are you most proud of through your staff, your team, um, through all of this lessons learned for of yourself as a leader? We talked about that leadership and you all are doing a great job in that leadership role uh, without any training, you know, in terms of a pandemic. So, so what are you most proud of? And, and thank you all so much for, for what you've done um, to keep everybody safe. Well, I uh, am most proud of the people, and that's a broad category. Um, from my administrative leadership team, that on March 13th, we make a decision to pivot and have to go fully remote, spent the weekend building an amazing remote learning program that was not in place here. Um, so just the commitment uh, to try to do what's best for kids. Our building principals who are on the front line and fielding concerns from parents and really having to figure out the logistical and operational strategies to keep things running. Our faculty and staff, our teachers, assistants, our bus drivers, our me mechanics, our, our, our maintenance workers, everyone who contributes to make this organization what it is. I uh, have done so many things that are outside their comfort zone or so different. They've risen to the challenge. Uh, our parents, uh, because you know what, again, there are partners in education. You know, uh, a parent is every child's first teacher. Uh, and and their only lifetime, lifelong teacher, right? And mm -hmm. so we've asked them to do things differently and it's impact what they do at home, but they've risen to the challenge. Um, our community who understands the situation that we're in has supported us. The amount of money we raised for our foundation to support the needs of families during this pandemic and uh, our partners like Aramark feeding families throughout this whole thing has just been amazing. But ultimately, you know what? I'm most proud of the kids. They're resilient. They've rolled up their sleeves. They've done what we've asked them to do. Uh, and they just want to be kids again. And they want school back. You know, and it's uh, it's so fun to think about how badly all of the kids in our community want to be in school. So I have to say I'm most proud of the people uh, and the willingness to be resilient, roll up our sleeves, and do whatever it takes to make things happen. It's hard to follow you, Dan, with uh, <laughs> what you said, because I think you said it all. But I will say this. Um, back at the beginning of the year, I wrote to my staff and I told them, I don't, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm just wanting people to do their best. And so I believe our children and our staff, everyone, our community, they are doing their best. This is a most difficult time. It's not something for which any of us prepared. And when I say any of us, I'm talking about parents, teachers, community, anyone. Um, you can't prepare for this. And so I am most proud of how people have responded. Is what we're offering what everyone wants? No, not necessarily. But what, what I'm most proud of is that people are um, giving the chance of it. People are learning. Children are excelling in many ways. Not in all cases, and that's why we're happy we're having in-person learning happen. And we know that this is all different. But uh, just the way people are responding has been tremendous, and that's what I'm most proud of. Yes, I'm most proud of the fact that if ever there was a time to develop um, joyful, committed leadership, this has been the time. You see people all around you um, taking up the challenge of leading some part of your building. And the team, the COVID team that I've worked with, 
have been amazing. We've been up sometimes till all hours of the night. You know, we get a call later, we get a text late. What do we do, Mrs. Tamar? And I'm texting in the bed, texting my administrative assistant or my AP or whomever, and we're on it. We, it's a 24-7 job. Administration is a 24-7 job. You don't get much sleep, but the rewards are so immense. And to, to bring these leaders to the forefront and watch them grow has been just delightful. So that would, I think that and the kids and the parents are just, it's been, everybody says, oh, COVID 2020 was so bad. So many good things came out of this year and strong leadership and beautiful, resilient children and families and um, strong faith. We're all praying more than we've ever prayed, no matter where you are. It's a beautiful thing. It's such a joy to have you all here with us talking about this and, and sharing a little bit of that, the joyfulness that, that came out of 2020 in terms of your leadership, in terms of watching teachers grow and change and learn despite some really unexpected and frankly frustrating situations. And uh, as educators yourself, we can see that you're passionate about making sure that kids can get back into school. Um, but we also appreciate your honesty that uh, it's not a perfect scenario right now, uh, nor has it been for the last year. But uh, together uh, with really great people, we can move forward um, and look for better solutions and wait for some change in recommendations. And hopefully um, more ideal circumstances will, will come our way in the future. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and helping us to find a little common ground. This episode of Finding Common Ground is brought to you in part by BMO Harris Bank.